With January already half over, we return, somewhat meekly, for our first proper podcast of the year, the 16th episode of the FBR cast. Welcome to the FBR cast, the official podcast for fantasybookreview.co.uk. My name is Josh. And my name is Ryan. He can speak properly. And it's time to look at all that has happened in the world of and around fantasy books. We are sorry for being gone so long, but Ryan decided to move himself and his wife across the planet to Florida. And unsurprisingly, December and January have been a little bit busy for both of us. But we are back, and we have some great stuff lined up for the next few weeks that you are going to want to hang around for. Uh, today, though, we're going to deal with some of the news that has been cropping up over the past uh, month and two, probably, um, starting with the news that Terry Pratchett, all the way back in November of last year, which just shows how long we've been gone, uh, announced to the world that he would pass on to his daughter Rihanna the reins of Discworld at which point, or at the point where he uh, can no longer uh, continue. Um, for those unsure, this is not just talking about in the case that he dies. Terry Pratchett was diagnosed a few years ago, or several, I can't remember now, with early onset Alzheimer's. Um, and he's already had to change the way that he writes books. He's now recording the audio of him and then having someone type it up for him. And so the news is that his daughter Rihanna is going to be taking on the reins um, at the point when he is now able to um, write them. Good news for you, Ryan? Bad news? I think it's good news. Um, she's been a consultant on the last two uh, Discworld mini TV series. Uh, is it? I think she did the the color the color of magic and the light fantastic. She was a consultant on that, and then I think she was a fully fledged writer on um, Going Postal. And Going Postal mm-hmm. is the best so far to date. The the best by a long way adaption of any Discworld novel. Yeah, because not- because um, they've tried. I think Hogfather was all right, and the color of magic was. Well, it's not a very good book. I, well, I it was the very f- no. I mean, yeah. it, it was the very yeah. first Discworld novel, and and simply put, he has gotten a lot better since then. Yeah, Going Postal is one of his best books, and the way they did that, they adapted that to the big screen was awesome. And she was heavily involved in that, as far as I'm aware. Like she's been fully immersed in her father's culture for so long that I'm I'm more than happy to see her take on the reins and continue it. Um. There's a bit of a history of sons and daughters taking on their parents' work. Um, and Christopher Tolkien, I suppose he's done a fairly good job of just protecting his father, grandfather, grandfather? Father. Father's legacy. Um, Todd McCaffrey has continued on with the Dragon Riders of Pern, um, you know, in the absence of his late mother. So, yeah, there's, there's a history of these children who have been deeply immersed in this type of mythology yeah, that their parents have established for so long doing a good job of it. So I'm happy. Yeah. Happy, um, 
No, I'm stoked more because it will simply be continuing. There's always been the um, fear that uh, the Discord would at some point come to a stop, and I want to keep reading Discworld stories. I want to keep seeing Vimes. I want to keep seeing new stories. I want to see Tiffany aching again, um, and so this is really good news. Um, now, um, Ryan has said several times that the best answer to any solution is just to make it into a HBO TV series. I'm right. And you are. You are. You, you- Tell, tell me when I'm wrong. Tell me when I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, like, I mean, it doesn't happen often, I'm sure. HBO, sure, that's America's primary um, network for this sort of stuff. But as we've seen over on um, in the UK, the BBC also does similar stuff. Look at Doctor Who, look at Sherlock, um, look at a lot of stuff like that. And news is that Susanna Clarke's novel, uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, or Norrell, is being adapted for BBC television. Now, you've read and enjoyed this book. I haven't actually gotten around to reading the book yet, but take us through what you think. It's a it's a big character book. I'm not sure how they're going to go with adapting it to a BBC miniseries. Um, there's, there's plenty of content for them to go around. Um, you, you've just read The Night Circus, so mm-hmm. if you... It's very, very similar style of writing to the night circus um very similar themes uh, you've got magician it's a magician's type of book as well um yeah exploring all mystery and fantastical elements um if anyone can do it it's the bbc um the way that they've handled sherlock is you know, testament to that uh whether they choose to do a modern day retelling of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, or whether they choose to make it that 19, I don't know, it's like a 1930s period piece, uh, 1930s magician period piece, similar to like The Prestige, um, if you saw that movie, The Prestige, oh, yeah. and read the book, very similar to that. So um, they got their hands full. It's not going to be a straightforward adaption. Um this is interesting. Um, the six-issue minis- the six-issue, that's a weird way to say it, I-9. The miniseries, which is going to be in six parts, is being directed by Toby Haynes, who, uh, if anyone keeps track of this sort of stuff, directed a bunch of um, Doctor Who um, episodes uh, with Matt Smith as the Doctor, so it's the latest Doctor. And he's also the director of one of the key episodes of Sherlock. So... We've got some good pedigree here. And that probably means Stephen Moffat will be involved as at least a creative consultant. Which is no bad thing. It'll be interesting I mean, to he, see how they manage to pull this off, considering how beloved and thick this um, novel is. A lot of people refer to it as one of the first masterpieces of the current century. They they put that and The Road as you know, being two of that, The Road, and I think, what's that, Kevin Follett with... Um, the with his historical um, fiction, they're like the three big books that everyone talks about as being the the three modern books that will stand the test of time and be the you know when people a hundred years from now look back they'll mention those ones. Um, I should pro- I should probably read them then. Um, Kevin Fall, Fall of Giants. That's what I'm thinking of. Fall of Giants and Pillars of the Earth. Pillars of the Earth. I've heard of that one. Yeah, well, they made it into a mini series as well. It seems like if you write a good book, they'll make it into a mini series. 
That's a way to make money. Speaking of other big books that they've made into series, TV shows, um, George R. R. Martin's next novel in his Song of Ice and Fire series is The Winds of Winter. Um, there is no confirmed release date. Um, I know some people are hoping for the end of this year. Um, I'm telling them to get lost because I don't think that's likely at all. But for those who want to keep up to date and 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 wet their appetites so to speak um martin has released a new teaser chapter from um the next novel the winds of winter um on his website um it is a chapter about ariane who i don't actually i can't recall but i'm sure she's something or other i, but, I think she's a priestess or a princess from across the sea she's not of the mainland Definitely not mainland. Oh yes, I do know or, this person. Or, or is she? Yes, know. she is of the mainland, and she but she oh. does go overseas. Right. Yeah. As you might See, have been I, able to tell, Ryan and I are not the most um, addicted Martin fans. I can't say that I'm too bothered about by that. Um, I I haven't read A Dance with Dragons. No, me neither. Um, I got what a hundred pages into it and went. Ah, uh, that was ten pages worth of description about a feast. <laughs> yeah, look, I I think I got about the same way, and I got yeah. about a hundred pages into it. I'm like, I want to read other things now, and I went and read other things because yeah. you know, I have plenty of time to read it before the next one comes out. But that's what I said about Wheel of Time, and I'm still not caught up. I still think a Storm of Swords is my favorite. The third. That was the third book, right? I think Game oh, of Thrones, Clash of Kings. Game of Thrones was pretty good. Clash of Kings was very good. And then Storm of Swords, that's my favourite. Feast for Crows, I really didn't like. I got bored and I had to force my way through that book and then got 100 pages into A Dance with Dragons and it was the same. But that said, you know, he's he said that Feast of Crows and, Dan- and Dance with Dragons were his two problem children and that he just had to get them out of the way and it took him a long time to do it and that he's got really good ideas for the last two so yeah um i hold out hope that yeah it the should last be two will be good it should be interesting look i i know people who adore every single book that he's written so it will be interesting to see when wind of winter comes out just how impressed people are with it now um one of your favorite books of 2012 is getting a sequel. Thank heavens. The Dirty Streets of Heaven by Tad Williams came out last year and um, was very well received by many people, including myself. Um, I loved the book. I thought it was fantastic. And um, news from the Wirt Zone says that um, Tad Williams has um, completed Happy Hour in Hell and has already sent it off to his publishers. This is the second novel in his Bobby Dollar series, um, the sequel to The Dirty Streets of Heaven. And Williams also reports he's starting work on the third book, Sleeping Late on Judgment Day. The dude is ploughing through his work, and I don't know what that means for when we'll see Happy Hour in Hell, but it could very well be sometime this year. Um, it's provisionally scheduled for release at the end of this year, but that, that never really means a great deal until you actually see a, um, a confirmed publication date. So I, I haven't read Tad Williams in a long time. Uh I, I used to read his Shadowlands series, but I have no idea what Dirty Streets of Heaven is actually about. So just 
for the <laughs> the unenlightened. Is that a is that a actually good terminology? It seems to be about angels and stuff. Yeah. So, so imagine a world where no, that, that, that doesn't work. Imagine you've got angels and they play a part, and they're not representative of any specific religion we currently are aware of today. Um, and we get to go into the lives of one specific angel, Bobby Dollar, as he gets caught up in a very big problem uh, between heaven and hell and all of the the fun sort of things that come along the way. It's brilliant. It's beautifully written. Tad Williams knows how to write a book. And um, this modern-day world with angels wandering around and, and being chased by demons down the main street are, um, is, is fascinating. Now another that, that thing. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, look, I mean, you <laughs> should you should read it. It's it's a lot it's a lot of fun. Now I'll, another thing that was supposed to be a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, I'm being biased here. Um, Ryan, have you seen <laughs> The Hobbit? Of course. Yeah, have you? you saw, yeah, you saw it before I did, in fact, because you moved to America. What did you think of it? All uh, right, this is going to be a big discussion. I can already tell it's going to be a big discussion because <laughs> this was called The Hobbit, and it wasn't The Hobbit. No, it wasn't. But it was still a very good movie, but it wasn't The Hobbit. So I can already see your staring daggers down the internet connection at me. <laughs> see, this but, is the thing, is that right. normally I can go into these movies and look at them schizophrenically and say, it's a brilliant movie. It's not like the book. It's a brilliant movie. This time, I just could not see past the fact that they were just ripping The Hobbit to shreds. I walked out thinking that the movie was vaguely reminiscent of The Hobbit, and that's about the best you can get. When I look back on it, I didn't really care that he pulled The Hobbit to shreds. My problem with it was that it was boring. Yeah, oh, like, I mean, they've, they've I was, stretched... I was falling asleep. It was just... Okay, slow pan of some more mountains, and then we'll slow pan of the guys walking across some more mountains, and then we'll slow pan because of some guys they across did, some more mountains. They did it in the trilogy, so therefore we'll do it again. Um, it was, it could be the most beautiful movie <laughs> that I've seen in the past couple of years. It was visually, it was the most stunning film I've seen in a long time, mm. and. Again, you know, the attention to detail to just from the mountains to the elvish armor to the goblin armor, the orc armor, I, every single piece was individually crafted. The CGI wasn't over the top. Um, I thought the rock giant scene was just, that was awesome. That was mm. breathtaking. And Andy Circus again as Gollum was brilliant, absolutely that was, brilliant. That was like I thought the movie was. It's a long movie. It's nearly three hours long, and I thought the first hour, hour and a half was really boring. And then once I got out of the Shire, it started to get a bit interesting. But that was when they got into all the non-Hobbit stuff, and they and Peter Jackson threw in all of his stuff and. I'm sort of going, oh, okay, so this is The Hobbit, but it's like we're, we're going to make it a prequel to Lord of the Rings and we're going to throw in all of the... Yeah, that's what it felt like. It felt like the Phantom Menace of Star Wars. 
Yeah, well, I mean, and and that's assuming that the next two will get better. But as we've seen with, Pr- uh, sorry, not Pratchett, as with Jackson's record, he'll um he he gets progressively worse with his movies. So I'm not how he gets progressively better with his movies. Well, it depends what you mean by better. <laughs> See, with the original trilogy started out with Fellowship of the Ring, which was pretty close to the book. And then it got progressively further and further away from the books as you went along. But it Um, got progressively better and better as you went along. (laughs) That's just because you got further and further away from the Shire. Um, Return of the King is the most appalling excuse for a book that I've read. I hate Return of the King. It is just... I love... Fellowship of the Ring, and I love The Two Towers. They are two of my most foundational books, but I hate Return of the King. I, I don't know what it is. It's just, I think it's because it just, you tell, it tell, like half the book it tells from one perspective, and then you finish that perspective, and then it goes back and tells it from another perspective. It's just all out of order and crazy and just boring. You know what helps? Alcohol. <laughs> As if you skip the entire Frodo and Sam bit. Uh, uh, Just skip Return, that entire bit and you'll be fine. Return of the King is a... Oh, I, no, no, I no, no. You just dislike we, it. We we put Tolkien up on the pedestal for a good reason because he is the most important person to fantasy literature in ever. But, man, Return of the King's a bad book. No, it's not. It's just... I prefer, I prefer Silmarillion over... <laughs> That's not fair. You're being unfair now. Let's get back to the topic. The Hobbit has done surprisingly poorly um, across the board, and no matter what um, method you want to judge it by... Um, well, now, unless you put- ticket sales, because ticket sales puts it as more successful than... The Lord of the Rings movies. Well, what, um, what, what are we talking and, about and when that, we say ticket sales? Are we talking the gross income, or I, th- I think we're talking the whole the whole lot, the amount of money that it made over the entire release, because it made a stupid amount of money and it holds the record as the hi- I think it was the highest ever Boxing Day sales the in Australia. Well, let's. See, because while I don't want to make a fool of you on air, that's not true. I do. <laughs> I, I'm I'm pretty sure that it. Okay, so grossed. the the, ho- the Hobbit the, the Hobbit grossed less than Fellowship. It grossed less than Two Towers, and it grossed. Uh, sorry, no, it grossed much less than the Return, and around about the same as Fellowship. But I'm pretty sure it is the highest ever sales on a Boxing Day. Okay. In but that's because only Les Mis came out on the same day. Like, yeah. it has done atrociously in the box office. Um, this was a movie that they were expecting to just dominate, and it has walked away barely holding away a number one spot at any point over the release. Um, it's only earned $280 million. Um, <laughs> only 280 million. Well, I like that. <laughs> well, only 280 million for yeah. a film. Like, I mean, you look at other films that have come out this year, and it's it's absolutely appalling. Um, yeah, but mind you, this year was a bit of a because uh, I, mean, I I also 
talk on Novastream Movies podcast, and this year was a bit of a um, it was it was a year full of record breaking with Avengers and Dark Knight and all of these amazing movies coming out and. Well, the top there was three a, films. There was a lot of money already spent this year. Yeah. Um, over over two hundred million is a very big tick in the box for any film. Over over a hundred million is a big tick in the box for any film. It's much less than what the other films pulled in, but it is still a very successful film when you compare it to the amount of money they spent making it. Well, see, that, that's what, like, I, I would actually say otherwise. Like, I mean, if you compare this film to, say, Wreck-It Ralph or, um, you yeah. know, let's scroll down this list here, Pitch Perfect, uh, John Carter, like, it, but yes, it's done better, but considering how much they probably put into this film, I'm wondering if it's actually gotten out what they needed it to. Moving away from the, the, the money, uh, Metacritic have got it scored at 58 out of 100, but with a user score of 8.2. And Rotten Tomatoes similarly have got it at 25% on their tomatometer, with the audience uh, liking 84%. So, like, I think there's your, there's your issue. I mean, it's, it's not a great movie, but it is a lot of fun to watch. Um, the, big, the big issue is that it was boring. A lot of people can say that they didn't truly pay homage to the source material. Um, that never bothers me. Um, I, I like to use the analogy of an apple pie, where the apple is the source material and everyone loves an apple, and then the movie is an apple pie, and you need the apple to make an apple pie, but to make an apple pie, you also need a whole bunch of other shit. And the apple... It can sometimes get completely lost and you don't know what part the apple played in the apple pie or sometimes the apple is the star and the apple pie helps it to become a better star. So like Hunger Games, if, if I'm looking at book to film adaptions from this year, Hobbit is one of the worst, not just because it was a poor adaption of the source material. I... I didn't mind the adaption of the source material too much. Um, if we if we look at the new stuff that they added in, um, you look at all the stuff about the necromancer. You look at Radagast and his little bunny sled as he <laughs> trapes. <laughs> I I thought that was one of the best scenes in the movie. I it was, was so, fun, and it's not even that so, far from the source material. That that's not my problem. Yeah, I know. Like the the problem is so not the necromancer, that, like because yeah. that stuff is referenced in Tolkien's work. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've talked about this on Overstream as well. My problem with this is the need for it to be a prequel to Lord of the Rings, and they gave so much cameo time to Frodo and to. Saruman and to Galadriel and people who are not involved in The Hobbit at all. They're not involved, like, yes, okay, so yes, the movie is definitely a prequel to The Lord of the Rings. If you were to make The Hobbit, then, you know, you're not dealing with any of that. The stuff they included does come out of Tolkien's work, but that just goes to further your theory that they're making a prequel rather than... And, and, yeah. and, and, and let's be realistic, The Hobbit was not a prequel. The Lord of the Rings was a sequel. The Hobbit came first. 
Um, so, so I suppose if there's one bit, the one bit I haven't talked about is the dwarf story. What about them? Um, I'm, I'm just, for, for all of the stuff that is not in the Hobbit that they introduced, it, the, the most amount of stuff was probably the dwarven backstory. And it, when you read the Hobbit, you don't get that much of the backstory with the dwarves. No, like you, that stuff you know, is pulled out of the, the, the histories around it. So all of the Thorin Oakenshield, all of the, all the different dwarven stuff and Thorin's blood feud with the albino orc and... Okay, right, see, was, now you've hit upon my problem because... That's, that, that's what I was trying to bring up. That, that albino orc never, never met Thorin Oakenshield. That like the two never had any relationship whatsoever. He was dead a hundred years earlier or something like that. He was killed by Thorin's father or something like that, I think. And all of a sudden now Thorin has a blood feud with him and the guy's chasing him through Middle Earth and I'm just like, hang on a minute. Like, I mean, they've brought back a dead character. It blows my mind that they can do that they think they can just get away with it and of course they have gotten away with it because nobody cares about the source material um i want to move this on a little bit uh last december christopher tolkien was interviewed um and uh, um, when asked why he wouldn't meet with peter jackson um he said that they eviscerated the book to make it an action movie for young people aged 15 to 25, and it seems that The Hobbit will be the same kind of film. This actually makes it seem to me that the guy hasn't even seen the movie, and heaven help us what he actually thinks of it and the way that they've just bastardised the work. I understand that a book needs to be... Uh, that, that a movie needs to work a little bit to adapt with a, a book, but th- this isn't adapting a book. This is... Like your, your example before of the apple pie... It might be that you started out with apples, but you've ended up with a peach pie, um, and the apples are sitting off somewhere else, just doing nothing for the the pie whatsoever. And sure, maybe it's a good film. I I, I walked out of the film at the end wondering whether I could see that, and I couldn't. Um, there are certain scenes which I found very enjoyable: the mm, the ice giants fighting. Um, the the Rube Goldberg sort of machine run through the the under world of the the Goblin King's world that was really fun to watch but other than that I I was just heartbroken with the way that they made this movie yeah I, it's a pretty film I think we can say that it it looks gorgeous it just yeah. It show it's a showcase of how beautiful New Zealand actually is, and it's a showcase and of the work of Weta and the designers yeah. and all of that. All of that is beautiful, yeah. but the the story, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I I didn't mind the evisceration of the Hobbit. Um, I, the Hobbit's not a favourite story of mine. It was a good story. Um, I had a lot of fun with it growing up, but you know, it's they're they're targeting a different audience. They're targeting an audience that wouldn't read The Hobbit, that wouldn't like The Hobbit. They're targeting an audience that liked Lord of the Rings, and so 
you know, they've given it a backstory. They're going, hey, here's these dwarves. And, yeah, they've got a backstory. Sure, it's not always in the source material, but, you know, they've got a backstory. We've decided what it's going to be and deal with it. It's It's got to be really hard for people who are just diehard fans of the book to see this movie just sort of go, look, it's not The Hobbit. Deal with it. I can't imagine, like, what it's got to be like for people who are just diehard fans of the book to see, you know, to be treated that way. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're playing to the majority. Um, I think the people, the people who are really hurt by what Jackson's done with the book are a minority, I think. And he's played to the majority, which is the money making audience. And I don't know, you can say, you can say that they've sold out, but. No, look, you're exactly I right. I still think my, it, yeah. my only issue is if he's playing to the majority, why did he bother adapting a story at all? Why didn't he just go and make something similar? Yeah, that that's that's another thing. Like he kept all the boring bits in. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I mean that that's another issue entirely, and that's what we started talking out about. It's a very boring book, and yeah, good grief, they've. Um, kept the boring bits and gotten rid of any of the good bits. Alrighty. <laughs> I'm just glad you agreed that Summer Tolkien is boring. <laughs> oh, of course it is. Doesn't it doesn't um, dispute the fact that he's important to what we love and read today, and that's really the main thing that you've got to. It's it's definitely an argument that we've had a few times that the difference between the importance of a book and the critical what, success, the critical, what, what we, yeah, what we think is the best book because, you know, guys like Brandon Sanderson have had the advantage of learning from Tolkien's mistakes, learning mm. from Terry Brooks' mistakes, learning from David Edding's mistakes and David Gemmell's mistakes. You know, all Terry, these guys are good because of the mistakes that the other guys made. Terry Brooks's mistake was that he started writing in the first place, right? <laughs> 35 years ago, yeah. yeah. All right, you moving on. We're going to look at what we've been reading. You have a, <laughs> how dare you have a career? Look, if you're allowed to hack off at one of my idols, I'm allowed to hack off at one of your favourite authors. We have been reading over the past few months, and um, we've been reading a lot by the looks of it. Um, do you want to go first, or do you want me to run through what I've read through? Okay, I, I've... Um... I've not had a lot of opportunity to read a lot over the past couple of months. Um, I did read a couple of uh, books that I want to bring attention to, though. Um, Broken by Anne Rort, or known as A.E. Rort on the cover. Um, she wrote this Frankenstein retelling um, set in the modern day, and it's kind of like Frankenstein meets Twilight. And I can already see your eyes rolling, Josh. It's all right. Yeah. Um, you haven't read Twilight, have you? I um, I read the first couple of chapters of the first book and then threw it down and walked away. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I'm happy to go on record here and say I didn't hate Twilight, except for the last book. I hated the last book. 
but the first three books I didn't hate. There's a pull quote you want on the front of your book. Twilight, Breaking Dawn, Ryan Lawler. I didn't hate it. Uh, it's it's very popular to hate it, but Broken, um, it's it's a Frankenstein retelling. There's lots of Frankenstein Easter eggs in there um, if you're a big Frankenstein fan. Um, it's it's Frankenstein set in teenage high school times. Oh, so you've got grief. You've got you've oh. got this young teenage girl who is recovering from the death of her boyfriend. Her boyfriend was has fallen. Uh, oh no! 17, I don't like where 18. this is going. She's her boyfriend's fallen seventeen or eighteen stories off um, a high rise during a drunken teenage party, and um, she's had to deal with that. And so she's not dealt with it very well. And then this new guy comes to school and he's dreamy and very Edward Cullen, you know, this loner, supernatural loner who just makes girls weak at the knees and it, it's really playing up the tropes. It's, it's really playing up the young adult teenage romance tropes. And I think that's why they tell you up front that's a Frankenstein remake because you automatically know that this new guy is made up of bits and pieces of everybody else. And you know that her boyfriend who's died is part of the most essential parts of this guy. And so... Yeah. You you as the reader, because you know what Frankenstein is, get this information that you couldn't otherwise get. If you didn't know it was a Frankenstein remake, you wouldn't have that information, and I don't think the book would be as good as you know, if you know it's a Frankenstein remake. If you know it's a Frankenstein remake, you sit there going, oh, that's gross, you know. He's all... You know, that's not him. He's made up of different parts, or is he, or isn't he? And I think, yeah. It, it sounds was... like a fascinating premise, if only she hadn't given in to the desire to put it in a high school. I, I think that's what makes it work. Um, oh, of course it is. <laughs> it's it's not just a teen... Uh, if, if you want to be a teenager and you want to read it like a teenage romance, you're going to get teenage romance out of it, and that's fine, but she also does a lot of work to send up the common tropes, to send up Twilight and all of those young adult paranormal romance books. Um, yeah, it's she takes that and then sort of turns it on its head. So it's I liked it. I I didn't think I would. I thought I would just pick it up and go, uh, boring, this is crap. And I, it was genuinely good writing that had a really good ending. Yeah, well, like, um, I mean, it sounds like an interesting premise, but yeah, it just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a genuinely good book, and I had a lot of fun reading it, and it took me a little bit to get into because of the whole, you know, teenage, teenagers at high school 
falling in love instantaneously, love at first sight, and you're going, oh, this is the worst sort of book ever. And then you get to about 40, 50% in, and then from from the halfway mark, I read it through without a break to the finish because she turned everything on its head and made it exciting and, yeah, went from teenage love story to horror, teenage horror, and that was awesome. I want to uh, chat a little bit about what I've been reading just uh, quickly. As I mentioned earlier, I read The Dirty Streets of Heaven by Tad Williams, and my review was up on the site, and it's worth... Uh, Worth going to read if you're interested at all, because the book is fantastic. Um, I also read Shadow Gate by Kate Elliott in my um, attempt to just read through everything Kate's ever read, um, and I'm just loving her work more and more. Um, that's the second book in that trilogy. Um, I was given um, a book for Christmas um, called The Great North Road by Peter F. Hamilton, and... I'm now in love with Peter F. Hamilton because that book was fantastic. Over a thousand pages long of space opera and it's just brilliant writing and if you're at all interested in sci-fi then you need to go read Hamilton's The Great North Road. But the best book that I read and I think that I've read in the last few years is um, Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. Um, and I know I'm late to the game here but this book was just beautifully written. Um vivid and imaginative and heartbreaking, romantic, um, and just writing skillfully that I haven't seen in ages. Um, in one book, um, Morgenstern's managed to jump into my top five authors um, right there alongside Kate Elliott and um, Sanderson and other people like that. Um the, yeah, uh, I mean, that was just a brilliant book. S similarly to um, Night Circus, I've started reading um, Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore by Robin Sloan. And that's another good book. Um, I haven't finished that, um, nor have I finished um, Pandora's Star by Peter F. Hamilton. Um, yes, I've just decided to jump straight into Peter F. Hamilton books, and so those two books are what I'm reading at the moment. Um, a bit of fantasy, a bit of sci-fi. What are you reading at the moment, Ryan? What am I reading at the moment? Um, I'm I'm taking to three different books at the moment. I've got Fortress Frontier by Mike Cole. Um, it's the follow-up to his debut novel, Control Point, which was very well received last year. Got a lot of debut novels, debut novel of the year. Um, got that from me as well. Got that nomination. Um, Fortress Frontier is the sequel, but not really a sequel. Hard to describe. Um, the first book was about his main protagonist, Oscar Britton, and his discovery that he was a latent sorcerer who had a banned magic um, that allowed him to warp between different parallel dimensions and... He was able to create these gates between parallel dimensions and that was a really effective piece of magic that he learned how to hone over the course of the book. Um, he stirs up a lot of crap in that book and finishes having done some really epic things and 
Fortress Frontier starts off with a brand new protagonist. Um, someone who's been completely secluded from the magical environment. Um, for Mike, Mike Cole's world that he's built, he has, um, all these people, uh, it's just a normal world, um, our, our normal world, but some people, you know, come up at 20 to 22 years of age as sorcerers, um, no prior history or anything like that. You can't really trace it genetically. It just manifests itself. It seems randomly at the moment. It seems randomly. And so that's, that's the sort of universe he's created and, the U.S. government has taken hold of that. Um, like the, the powers that they manifest is kind of like X-Men. I think I described it in our um, Best Of show that it's like X-Men meets Black Hawk Down. Um, so the first book was very much a training and introduction into his world and the types of magic that were there and his protagonist, Oscar Britton, who just wrecks everything. Um, yeah, Fortress Frontier... New protagonist. He is, he comes up late as well, but he is a willing participant rather than Oscar, who was a runaway and didn't want to participate at all. Um, so you get a different perspective because of that. Um, and when shit hits the fan, he responds. And I haven't got up to the bit yet where this new protagonist, um, his name's Bookbinder. Um, he's supposed to meet up with Oscar, but I haven't got up to that bit yet. So I'm expecting that to be a pretty good meeting. And yeah, cause Oscar, Oscar Britton was a really good protagonist. So I was hoping to see more of him. Um, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen very much of him yet. Just references to him. Um, but you know, I know that I'm going to see him later in the book. So I'm okay with that. I've also been reading the epic anthology that was edited by John Joseph Adams. I've read through Robin Hobb's story, which was pretty good. It was a, I think it was a prequel to the Rainwilds um, series or trilogy. Have, I don't know if you've read the Rainwilds, Josh. Started reading them and then realised she couldn't write anymore, so I stopped. Ooh, that's harsh. Keep that for another episode, yeah? Yeah, keep that for another episode. Um, the short story is pretty good. I've not read much of um, the Live Ship Traders or the Assassins trilogy or anything like that, but this short story was pretty good, pretty well written, and I enjoyed it. Um, Tad Williams has a story in there that's all right. Um there's another one by Ursula Le Guin that I've read that was very average. Um, I don't think I like it. Um, and then I read Mary Robinette Cowell's uh, short story, and that was awesome. So, so far it's been a bit of a mixed bag. It's a lot of well-known authors, um, some that have done a really good job. So Robin Hobb and Mary Robinette Cowell, very good job. Ted Williams, not too bad. And Ursula Le Guin, um, I like her Earthsea stuff, but this, this short story was very average. And I didn't enjoy it very much. Um, the other one I'm reading is The Human Divide by John Scalzi. 
and this is a episodic release. Um, the first episode being the B team, which got released on Tuesday. The second episode is going to be released next Tuesday, and there's another 11 episodes to follow that um, every Tuesday. So 13 weeks every Tuesday for 99 cents, you're going to get it's yeah about a novella's worth of story um, all together, adding up to the overall story called The Human Divide. Um, a lot of people have been complaining about it, saying that why did he choose to do this, write a few chapters and release release it episodically and not do it um, just one big book. But uh, John's responded to that saying that you know, he's written each episode as a self-contained episode and all, all 13 episodes all together add up to the whole, which is called The Human Divide, and so... It works better as a serialized concept. Um, you get to the end, you get resolution at the end of the novella and you get anticipation for what's going to come next. Um, so The Human Divide, I'm about halfway through that. It's pretty good. It's set in the same universe as Old Man's War, but anyone who's read Old Man's War, so I, you don't have to have read Old Man's War to read this book. It's pretty good. Sounds Go good, ahead. and 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 you've promised to unbuy each of these uh, serials for me. So that that's very nice of you. I I thought that was very um, generous of you. I am a very generous person. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's it from us. Um, I have no idea how long we've been going, but I think it's probably time to wrap up there. Anything else that you want to throw out at the um, at the people li- listening to us before we wrap up? Um. Not really. Uh, next episode we're going to record is our most anticipated for 2012. Um, 2013. Oh, I'm still getting used to that. <laughs> you're you're probably going to realise that one of the heavyweights for 2013 is a memory of light, which has already come out. But we're going to mention it anyway. We are. Um, stay tuned to the stream for that. Stay tuned to the website for the blog posts that will follow those um, that podcast. We've got four posts coming out looking at um, multiple books coming out 2013. You are going to want to stay tuned to that. Thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. For show notes and links to the music we use by Bart Stoop, please head on over to fantasybookreview.co.uk. You can follow the show on Twitter at FanBooRev and at Facebook at FantasyBookReview. And you can follow Josh and Ryan on Twitter at JoshSPill and RyanL1986. You can, and we hope you will, email the show at blog at fantasybookreview.co.uk.